So our story of Ruth and Naomi continue. This is actually our third passage uh, this month looking at this story as it unfolds. Uh, but, and now we find ourselves um, at the threshing room floor. Uh, and how we've gotten to this point, um, I'll just revisit quickly. Bring us up to speed in, in case this is the first time you've, uh, you've heard of this uh, this morning. It's a wonderful little short story, a powerful story. It starts in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. Uh, the irony there is there is a famine, so there is no bread. There's no bread in Bethlehem. So Naomi and her husband... And her two sons, her two sons' names are Sick and Die, remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Uh, they set off on a journey to go to a foreign land, Moab. And while they're in Moab, the two sons marry uh, Moabite women, uh, Orpah and Ruth, our heroine of the story. Uh, eventually, uh, Naomi's husband passes, and the two boys get sick and die as well, and they die. And so now the women are left alone, and We've talked a little bit about uh, how problematic that is, uh, not just in terms of grief and, and missing them, but also in terms of providing uh, for the family and navigating society and life in a patriarchal uh, time period in our history, in the history of the Bible. And so they're in a bad spot. So Naomi says, well, we're going to uh, go back home to my people in Bethlehem. And so as she goes, she turns to Orpah, and she turns to Ruth, and she says, hey, wait a minute, this is silly. Why don't you all turn back, stay with your people, and I'll go home with mine. Orpah kisses her, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And so it's Naomi and Ruth that go uh, back to Bethlehem. Naomi's in a terrible place in terms of her spirit and soul, um, which is ironic because her name means uh, sweet and pleasant. But now she's turned bitter because she's angry with God. And she's angry and she's disappointed and she's just in a uh, very helpless state of mind And as they return to Bethlehem. It's not long after they're in Bethlehem that uh, Ruth decides, like, all right, we've got to pick ourselves up and we've got to make a way, <coughs> so I'm going to go to work. And uh, that's in chapter 2 where uh, Ruth goes uh, out into the field and she starts to uh, glee uh, some produce uh, while they're clearing the field, which means she's coming behind uh, the workers and she's taking up scraps. She works there all day one particular afternoon. Uh, she's noticed by the owner of the field who happens to be Boaz. And Boaz uh, takes notice of her and we can start to see the, the story kind of like turn a little bit uh, as this recognition takes place. They have a conversation about who they are and who she is. Uh, he's impressed by her work, and she, he's impressed by her loyalty to Naomi. And he says, you know what? Come back to my field tomorrow. And no longer will you be leaning behind, uh, but you'll be working right alongside my women. That will offer uh, up a, a different way uh, for you in my field. And so that brings us here uh, to chapter 3. Uh, and we just had Jude read to us the first uh, four or five verses uh, of that chapter. And it's really uh, the climax of the story. Uh, and we're going to uh, make a turn towards the conclusion uh, with some 
very uh, romantic overtures. Amen? Make sure you're paying attention. All right. So as this chapter 3 uh, gets underway, Naomi, the scriptures tells us, uh, she speaks to her daughter Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and says, shouldn't I seek security for you? And so we have this word security. Uh, and security has come up before, or the word, uh, it's actually a Hebrew word, uh, manawah. Manawah. Here it is used, it's been used also in chapter 1, uh, verses, verse 9. In chapter 1, this Hebrew word, manawah, is translated a little bit differently. And it is when uh, Naomi is trying to get Ruth and Orpah to turn back she said, turn back and go uh, seek some manna walk with your own people. And what the word is translated there is as uh, seek a home and rest. Seek home and rest back with your own people. And so it's a word that's translated as rest there in chapter 9, but here as security. And a rest and security go hand in hand uh, in terms of this Hebrew word. Uh, but she's saying uh, uh, now as they journey together in chapter 3, she's saying, shouldn't I seek some security for you? And you can kind of hear and feel uh, the love between the two of them. Uh, again, previously she was trying to send her back home for rest with her own people. Now she's saying, wait a minute, uh, I see your loyalty to me. Shouldn't I seek some security for you? The man who walked for you. And so the way they're going to do this is, uh, she's saying, I have a plan for you. Naomi says, I have a plan. Let me give you some of my wisdom uh, and, and tell you how this is going to, to go down. Uh, isn't Boaz, uh, whose young women you were with, our relative? And so they start to revisit this idea of a redeemer. Our choir sang a song about redemption. Uh, Boaz uh, is in line to be a redeemer. And Redeemer in uh, this context sounds a little strange to us because it's not our culture to where if uh, a husband dies, uh, the next man in the family steps up and takes the wife. Now, that sounds strange and weird to us, right? We're not still in West Virginia, are we? <laughs> right? That's All right, that's not good. Right. West Virginia has some of the strictest marriage rules in the country, by the way. Okay, so you can't make fun of it anymore. <laughs> anyway, the Redeemer, uh, a widow, could seek a new husband within the family line. And so and there, there, were, there were rules and regulations about who was supposed to do that. And so Boaz, Naomi knows, hey, wait a minute, Boaz uh, could potentially be our Redeemer. And so they start to... Uh, you know, think through this process. Redeemer, what do we think of biblically when we start thinking about Redeemer? What does the choir sing about? Who's our Redeemer? Jesus. Jesus. Who's our Redeemer? Jesus. Jesus. All right, all right. So, so it gives us some of that connotation as well. And so she says, you're going to find this Redeemer on the threshing room floor. He's going to be winnowing some barley tonight. Now the winnowing process back then was much more difficult than we do it now. Um, but basically it was done at night because of 
part of the process was throwing uh, throwing it up in the air, and the breeze would catch it and, and kind of do some separation, and then it would hit the floor. Uh, I feel like Ralph should stand up here and give us a lecture on windowing, but anyway, that's pretty close to it. But that's why it was nighttime, and it's also why, for, and for security reasons as well, that when the work was finished, uh, they would just lie down and sleep right on uh, the floor to, to protect uh, what the work had already been done uh, as, as well, until they could deal with it in the morning. But Naomi says, all right, so go down there. He's going to be doing that tonight. And then she gives she gives him, she, Naomi gives Ruth some sort of like some dating advice, right? So if you're getting ready for a date, especially a first date, you know, make sure you do your hair. Make sure you put on a nice outfit. Put on some perfume, right? So that's where we're going with this. Just, and, and first and foremost, bathe. Yeah, bathe. Make your bath, right? So you don't want to leave any stone unturned. All right. Do all this stuff. Then go down there, but, but but go slowly. Don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. They drink a little bit first. Everybody gets a little bit looser. <laughs> I mean, we don't drink here at Green now, but when Gary and Sharon go to Florida, I mean, you know, they're not under our tutelage anymore, so they can relate to this story a little bit. That's a joke. <laughs> But all through this process, uh, giving her some wisdom about how this was going to go down. Then it gets really romantic. When it says, when he lies down, notice the place where he is laying, lying, and then go and uncover his feet. Now this is a PG version for this audience, because we have some kids in here. So I'm glad they leave it at that. Uncover his feet and lie down. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, but evidently, it was some kind of dating ritual. All I know is, there's a lot of things that I'd rather show my first date than my feet. Pastor Melissa would have saw my feet on our first date. I probably wouldn't be standing before you. I'd be some other path. And in fact, I to this day don't want her touching my feet. One time uh, I was getting a massage from a therapist and she said, I'm going to do your feet now. I said, no, you're not. And uh, she said, I'm a professional. I'm a doctor. I can do your feet. I said, no, you can't. And so she went to touch my foot even though I told her no. I felt a little bit harassed, right? And uh, I involuntarily kicked her. <laughs> and then she got mad at me and said, you have issues. <laughs> the people that don't want their feet touched have issues. She told me that. And I thought on her wall, I did say psychologist, I thought it said physical therapist. She was analyzing me right there in a very vulnerable state and I had nothing to do with this term. But anyway, <laughs> I covered his feet. And she lied down. And actually what they would do, it wasn't uncommon uh, for servants and workers to, to lie in the same room, you know, back in this time and this place and this culture, on the threshing room floor, especially or in the barn or in the shed or whatever. 
and they would lie perpendicular, which is perfectly safe and, and not weird for them uh, at their feet. But the uncovering of his feet uh, is, is, was the plan. And so uh, she does this. And then she says, and he will tell you what to do. And so as the passage unfolds, unfold, they go on, and Boaz and Ruth, they have this, this great conversation. And they figure out what's going on, and who are you at my feet, and, and they figure it all out again. And so in this moment, on the threshing room floor, it's imagery of, uh, and it also helps us to think about the gospel lessons. Sometimes in the gospels we hear um, the judgment day being as, as separating the, the wheat from the, yes, right. So this, this is a, it has a judgment over undertone to it. It reminds us of judgment, and in a way it is, it's a day or a night of judgment for Ruth. Um, she's either going to come out of this, you know, with a redeemer, or she's going to be run out of that barn, and she's going to be uh, left unsecure. And so it's a moment of judgment that could go either way for her. She's going to be redeemed or not redeemed by this plan that Naomi has put forth for her. And she goes forth with them. And so she goes into this barn looking for security and redemption. And the irony is, uh, as she's looking for security, she has to do something uh, that is very uncomfortable for most of us most of the time. She has to make herself extremely vulnerable. Extremely vulnerable. She's going into a strange place with strange people with a man she hardly knows, and she's going to uncover his feet and lie down. She's very vulnerable, but it's the key to the story. She has everything to gain. I mean, a redeemer and a life with a new husband. And everything to lose. She can be ridiculed. She, she can be called a floozy or whatever they did back in those days. She can be run out of town uh, for, for doing this, uncovering other feet and lying at his everything to gain, everything to lose. Extremely, extremely vulnerable. Uh, it works out that her vulnerability leads to Boaz accepting uh, the responsibility of being her redeemer. He is, he is, and talking about vulnerability, he also could have taken advantage of her. And what we discover in the passage is that you know, he does no such thing. He doesn't touch her. He says, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going, you know, I would love to be your redeemer. I'd love to take care of you and Naomi. I'm ready to do that. Uh, however, he's so righteous that he says, I do have to check with one more relative, another relative that's a little bit closer to, to the redeeming status in terms of the way the laws and customs work. I'll check with him tomorrow, and then I'll get back to you uh, with the answer. And so he takes care of her. He gets her more food to take home to Naomi. Um, and so um, everything kind of starts to unfold in this climactic scene. But she has to be vulnerable. And so that's where I think this passage is helpful for you and I. This book of Ruth, um, all about relationships and finding redemption in relationships. You know, from a very difficult and awful time in Naomi and Ruth's lives uh, to being completely redeemed and blessed and the story 
continuing for them and for the and for the biblical story. Um, I, I think it can help us with our own relationship. And you might be sitting there saying, "Well, I'm not looking for a husband or wife. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. Make sure you're still paying attention." Uh, but it's not just about romantic love. Uh, this is also about just genuine friendship, and also about um, faith friendships as well, sharing your faith with others. And so for all three, the principle is the same. And what we learn from this passage is to, to have a, a very deep and meaningful relationship, we, you and I have to be vulnerable. We have to reveal ourselves. And so to find the security that we're looking for, the home and rest in someone else, we actually have to be vulnerable, uh, like Ruth did in this, in this passage that we had for us. We have to be willing to, to face some uncertainty, to face some risk, to face some emotional exposure. That's what vulnerability means. There's a uh, uh, doctor, Dr. Uh, Brene Brown, and she's, she's a sociological researcher. She researches social issues and problems. She spent a lot of time doing time on relationships and specifically vulnerability. And she uh, had this interesting time and study with uh, special forces in the Army. Um, specifically, she's working with men and women who are transitioning back into uh, civilian life, which is a very difficult transition to make. Um, and she's talking to them about uh, being vulnerable. You know, in order to make lasting relationships outside of the Army, you have to learn and relearn to be vulnerable. And she tries to uh, convince them that uh, when they're in their units and they're, they were out working and, and, and in the battlefield, uh, she would ask them, were any of you ever vulnerable? And they'd all say, oh, no, we were never vulnerable. We, you know, we ch checked off this list and this list. And the whole thing is about being secure. And when they said secure, she stopped them and she said, no, in order to, to be fully secure, you had to be vulnerable. There's no such thing of security without being vulnerable. And then she talked about the relational part of that, of, of relying on your brother or sister uh, that's right next to you in the battlefield. Um, and so it's just a reminder to them uh, about uh, being vulnerable is not being weak. It's the complete opposite. But we're told over and over, oh, don't make yourself vulnerable, you're going to get hurt. Well, that's wrong. And it's not helpful to us romantic or platonic or in our faith relationship. And we have to get beyond that. Um, I used to have a, a, I still do have a friend, and I used to give him dating advice. And he was so afraid uh, of, of stepping out and, and making making things happen in terms of, of just connecting with someone to go out on a date. Uh, and I would tell him, these are things you have to do. And he would say, well, I'm scared I'm going to fail. Or she's going to say, no, she doesn't want to go with me. And so, but eventually, after time, and again, I helped him to realize, you know, the importance of being vulnerable and allowing someone to see him for who he was, and he eventually got married and, and has kids. It's the same thing for our friendships or our colleagues at work or making uh, acquaintances for sales. You have to be vulnerable. You have to let yourself and, and put yourself out there. It has nothing to do with whether you're going to be uh, an introvert or an extrovert. In fact, introverts are sometimes better at making meaningful relationships than extroverts. 
because they're selective with who they talk to in, in a lot of cases, but they're more willing to be vulnerable, to expose themselves once they do make a connection. Uh, and so that's a very important concept to think about. And then for our ultimate purposes, and, and most importantly, if you and I are going to share our faith with other people, if we're going to share the gospel of Jesus with others, if we're going to tell our story, uh, you, you and I have to be willing to be vulnerable in that. We have to be willing to be able to show someone all of ourselves, not just our feet, but all of ourselves, all of our words. Um, it's, been a great, it's a great place to be in terms of sharing your faith. This is who I really am. And that's a scary place to be. It's a vulnerable place to be, but it's the only way uh, to have a deep and secure relationship with someone to be able to share your faith. Uh, I encourage you, as we go forth this day, to continue to read uh, and read this whole chapter 3. If you haven't read chapter 1 and 2, pick up from there. But read this whole chapter 3. Uh, we're getting ready to make a turn into the final chapter uh, to where this seeking of security uh, and this judgment night on the winnowing floor and Ruth's willingness to be vulnerable uh, is going to have a major impact, uh, not just on the story of Ruth and Naomi, uh, but on the biblical story itself. And Boaz and Ruth get together they get married, and the story continues from there. Amen? Amen. Let's pause now and confess our faith to the apostles.